welcome to episode six of In Gear with the Shop. I'm your host, Reagan Dickinson. Our guests today, plural, are Jim and Mike Ring of Ring Brothers. And let's face it, they don't require much of an introduction, other than they're among the top custom vehicle builders in the world. Don't forget that you can hear this episode, as well as all past and future episodes, on your favorite platform, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and at our website, theshopmag.com. So let's get in gear with Jim and Mike Ring and get some more insight into what's going on with them and their approach and philosophy. Jim, how are you doing today? I'm good, buddy. And Mike? I'm good, too. Jim, one of the big stories, obviously, has been the pandemic and the cancellation of shows. PRI looks like it's going to still continue, but we don't know for sure. How has the cancellation of SEMA changed your plans and your schedule? You know, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Obviously, we've been doing SEMA for, what, 14 years in a row now and and, uh, really enjoy being there. Although, it sure is nice for, at least for me, to have a a year off. It still is a a giant push to complete everything that we wanted to have at SEMA at that time. It just, it's it's like a reset for us. So, we know the stuff's out the door and and we can start fresh the following year, obviously, or or right after SEMA on on new projects. But it is a double-edged sword for us. Or at least yeah. for me. And Mike, did y'all have builds in process? Are you continuing those builds and what are the plans for those? Yeah, we actually have a, a few builds. The The main build that we wanted to say compete with the Battle of Builders again was a K5 Blazer. Mm-hmm. We're still in the paint process on it. So we're probably a couple of weeks from paint yet. So we would definitely be killing ourselves to make it for SEMA, but we're still planning that same schedule. It's like Jim said, if, if we don't have that push, it just seems like it can get put off and put off. So right, um, we have a lot of other projects in the shop right now, but that's the one that we wanted to really try to whack them with. Yeah. So are there plans to reveal or show those builds through what SEMA is doing from an online perspective? You know, because they're obviously they're taking a live show and they're doing an online event instead. So are there plans to reveal that through that means? I had heard that they want us to judge. So is that true, Jim? Yeah, I had got a call from Bud last week and asked if we would judge the virtual Battle of the Builders. Uh, okay. And I explained to him that we had this blazer that, you know, we may want to contend with, although odds are we're not going to have it completed to be there i just i just can't see it happening at this point but yeah uh, so you know with that you know we'd be happy to to be a part of it in in that way in the judging mm-hmm. kind of things so yeah. well, at least we could pick ourselves then yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> What a great deal that would be. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We win. Yeah. <laughs> so is it possible that you would hold that blazer for next year's event? Absolutely. You know, it's uh, okay. it's a pretty wild truck. I think, I think, uh, I mean, it's been almost two years going now, you know, it's 1400 horse blown LS. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty wild uh, for a four wheel drive truck. It's yeah. got, the roof line, you know, the whole roof of it, it's got four T-taps in it that come out. Wow. It, it's pretty wild. 
So at, at what point did you realize that your business had made it, so to speak? Was there a turning point? You know, I don't think, Mike and I have been in business a long time. And once you get the brick wall built up a little bit, it's, you know, it's, it's easy to withstand a few waves. But I would feel bad for people just starting business throughout this atmosphere. And, and uh, it's got to be tough on them. Yeah. But I don't think we ever, honestly, I don't think we ever feel like we've made it because I think it's, Every job's scary. Um, you can lose a lot on one of these jobs. Um, so there's I no don't know. doubt, but I mean, there there is something to say about being somewhat established rather than starting a new business. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, it's always scary. Don't get me wrong. Welcome to welcome to the business. Yeah. Right. So, where was that time during your business where at least you felt like you were established, and was there a turning point where you felt a lot more comfortable with your business, and you knew that hey, we're really making a go of this? Honestly, I have to tie our business into I think because we have three other businesses in here. You know, we have our car building, we have our parts, and we have a full collision center. Uh-huh. Thank God that you know there, there's always one of them businesses that are you know being able to help out the others when they're down. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, 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 uh-huh. it's like a tiny little insurance policy. God help us mm-hmm. if, they all, if they all go down the same time. That would be a tough one. What, what component of the business did you start with? What was the first one? Or did all three of those components kind of come at the same time for you? It was really our collision business that started. You know, I started a, a small restoration business with a buddy of mine that lives in Denver, Colorado now. And obviously, misery likes company. So I asked my brother, mm-hmm. to, my brother to come back with me. And, you know, we were typically just doing collision works. We had a fast oil change at that time. Uh, yeah. No parts, just basically Mike and I and a couple other guys that that ran it and then you know we started playing with these cars and uh you know it kind of grew from there so we started making our own parts mm-hmm. and then when people seen our you know the stuff we were making they're like hey can i have some of them or one of them or, and uh i guess that was kind of the start of the parts business we thought to ourselves well hell we can sell this stuff so manufacturing parts for ourselves and then obviously making sure they work the way they need to work. And and, uh, that ended up growing into our parts business. Okay, got it. Now, do you have a certain philosophy as you go into a custom build? Is there kind of a primary philosophy about how you approach a custom project? No, the the way we've been approaching it now is first we figure out if it's something we want to do, if we're interested in it, because we've had some projects where it's just the fire wasn't there. It just didn't feel it. Um, you know, we've been lucky enough to pick and choose a little bit more now. So if we're excited, we'll get some renderings going and get, you know, get on the same page with the owner, try to see his direction and push it as much as we can. Like Jim would say, you know, every new owner, new budget. So, you know, everybody expects you to do something bigger and better, but, you know, there may not be the budget this year or, or something like that. So we, we try to push the owner to what we can get them to do and um, get excited about the project, get them excited about it through the renderings and take it from there. And, and remind me, how many projects do y'all have in the works right now? More than we've ever had. So I'll let Jim count them, but uh, while well, he's counting. <laughs> we've got three, three 1972 K5 Blazers, uh, 70 Chevelle for a pro basketball player, uh, 65 Mustang Fastback 
We've got a 64 and a half convertible. We've got a 69 Camaro, another full carbon car going, a 69 Mustang Fastback, uh, two 69 Dodge Chargers, 48 Chevy pickup, that one I was talking about earlier, 86 Buick Grand National. <laughs> we got a lot of work. Yeah, no doubt about it. <laughs> so, you know, speaking of your builds, what's the highest auction price realized for one of your builds? Well, this is not the highest, but we just did a crazy black blazer for my, you know, Mike and I did it for our, for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a 72 K5 blazer, you know, a nice truck, but we ended up selling it to a friend of ours, like actually a guy we built a bunch of cars for, and, and uh, he put it on Bring a Trailer. And uh, the thing brought three hundred and five thousand, so that did pretty wow. good for a that is amazing pretty stock truck. Yeah. Do you do you keep in touch with the people who buy them? Oh yeah. Matter of fact, I'm looking out the window right now, and a guy that just bought the uh, AMX Javelin uh, is standing out here trying to pick it up. I don't know if you remember the the seventy two AMX Javelin we did for Prestone Antifreeze, that corporate car we did for them. Mm-hmm. They were done with the marketing on it, and we ended up purchasing it back and sold it to a local guy here. So what is the most important thing that you've learned over the years that other shops you think could learn from as well? Goes back to what I said, always do what you say you're going to do. Uh-huh. Tell them like it is up front. You know, I think there's a lot of, I shouldn't say it that way, but I think there's some people in shops that tell customers what they want to hear to get the work in and they figure out that they can't do it or can't make any money and they push it in the corner and the customer gets mad and pulls it out. And that, that was a blessing, you know, for that shop. And I'll bet you for a while there, at least 40% of the jobs we took in here were at other shops that the owners just got frustrated, can't get it done. Yeah, I don't think people do it intentionally. I just don't think some people know what it's going to take to actually complete a car. There's a lot of projects sitting in in shops that will never get completed. And mostly because they said they could do it for a certain price or it just gets over their head. And that goes back to us. I mean, we, we don't know everything, but over the years, we've pretty much put a team together of people we know that can do everything. So mm-hmm. take it slow. Uh, do what you say you're going to do, but uh, align yourself with people that will be there. I mean, not just the cheapest person. It's not all about cost. It's about people that are, when they build something, they will warranty it and they will be there. That's key. Would you say there's a culture, so to speak, at Ring Brothers overall that kind of permeates through the employees as well? I would say for sure there is in that there's no egos here. I mean, we got some really talented people, but you wouldn't know by talking to them. And I think that's what makes this place special for me is we don't have egos. We don't have to have a guy coming up, oh, he's doing this or he's, you know, telling on somebody else. Everybody just puts their head down and really gets along. Mm -hmm. I would say not having an ego here is huge. Absolutely. Are there things that you do to make sure that uh, customers' expectations are set properly? Is it in the documentation? What, what does that education process look like for the customers so that they do understand and maybe they don't have as many objections to the price that you're quoting them? Well, honest, honestly, there's a lot of things that go into that. You have to be upfront with these customers. Like I said before, mm-hmm. you are building a one-off hot rod. You, yeah. you have to educate them upfront that you will have issues. 
And if you don't, praise the Lord, baby Jesus. But it's, you know, you're going to have trouble. We'll work through them. We'll, we'll get them fixed. And, and that's just the way it is. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. I have yet to see or talk to any builder that didn't have issues. Yeah. You try to minimize them by doing the right thing up front. And, and that goes back to saying, using the things that are tried and true that you know works all the way down to fuel lines, fittings, wiring, the way you wire it, the way it just, the entire process, you pick out things over time that bite you in the ass and, and you take care of it and you, they, they don't ever come back. So it's, uh, it's, it's just very important to educate. If, if, if you have a customer that's never had a hot rod, it's pretty tough to make that guy happy. They don't understand. They, they think that they're going into the dealership and buying that brand new car. Right. It's just not the way they are. You start putting a 800, a thousand horsepower, 12, 1400 horse to stuff that things start breaking. <laughs> <laughs> So your forte is classic muscle, but are there any modern muscle cars that catch your eyes? Yeah, things I can't afford, GT, mm-hmm. yeah. Ferrari. Any that you're interested in customizing? Well, I'd like to do an excavator someday. <laughs> 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 no, you know, it's uh, you really don't think that far ahead, honestly. You're just, it's weird, but you focus on what you have in the shop. Yeah, And then when a car, when a, a call comes in, you think about it then. But honestly, I don't think about the next one or what I'd want as a personal vehicle. Or It's just not that way. It's just really all, all work. And the dreaming part is kind of over, you know, because that can change in a minute with a, with a rendering. You, you can boy, like not realize what, how cool something could be. So yeah, I, I don't. I don't think that way. I think we just put our head down and do what's in front of us, and think about the next one when somebody's wants something built. So sometimes you'll deviate from what is considered your norm, like the happy camper. That seems to deviate from that a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, who would ever think about that? It just it happened, and it was so damn much fun. I mean, it made people smile from the age of two to ninety. Anybody that walked in that thing came out smiling. It was probably the most amazing vehicle as far as watching people enter it and and come out. It was it was beyond all expectations and it was probably one of the most fun of a build and driving and watching people. It, it was amazing. That was the dump dumbest thing we ever did. <laughs> but it was priceless. Yeah. How did how did that come about? How did that project happen? Well, I had a, we had some property by the river and a friend of mine, Moose from Rad Rides, works for Troy, called me and said, hey, there's a old Winnebago going through uh, Barrett-Jackson. He said, you should buy that and just park it down by the river. Total piece of junk. Yeah. And uh, but it looked kind of cool because somebody had lowered it. Yeah, somebody, somebody had lowered it a little bit and then put uh, wooden pallets inside. And, you know, it was, so we were going to Barrett-Jackson at that time and I called Bob Johnson, who, who Bob is the guy that buys a lot of cars out there. And I said, if that thing goes cheap, I said, buy it. So we get out there. Bob goes, 10 grand, you own it. And I'm like, Bob, that ain't cheap. I can buy them things for like two grand at home. So anyway, we were we went and looked at it. It had no brakes in it. It actually had the right front brake. It had, had an old Chrysler that, that couldn't even get out of its own way. It, mm-hmm. The thing was just shot. And I looked at Mike and I said, let's go get a drink. And I said, 
we're going to go find a boys club or something and donate this thing because it's going to cost us another six or seven grand to get this thing back to Wisconsin. Yeah. So then we're sitting on a total. It was it was the biggest nightmare we ever had. I was going to drive it home. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah. That yeah. thing wouldn't make it out of the park. It literally wouldn't. For some reason, we hired a trucking company and we brought it home and. And, you know, we were, we were married to it at that point. So we had, to feed, yeah. we had to feed it and, uh, we got it all done and, and Carl Wagner built us an LS motor for it. And it was cool, but it just wasn't fun. And I said, Carl, this thing's such a pooch. So about two weeks later, he pulls up in his van, opens the back door. He's got a thousand horse blowing LS sitter. He said, get it out of there. He said, quit your whining. And <laughs> so, <laughs> so we put this blowing LS in and that's when the fun factor went up through the roof. You know, that that thing for a giant Winnebago at a cold morning would pull the left front wheel off the ground from a dead stop. I mean, it was just a monster. Yeah. I don't think there was too much that could touch it for the first hundred feet. <laughs> 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 but uh it was fun and uh we enjoyed it we had a we had just a blast in that thing you did some interior work on it as well the interior looked like an old inside of an old bomber airplane yeah hell it had a, one of them magical fireplaces in the back hanging on the wall it had a big screen up front kick-ass radio it, we had a bar in the back inside and a bar outside and it was fun we had a good time and where is it now? Down south somewhere. Uh, the, the guy we sold it to sold it to this guy. And uh, the guy we sold it to has been trying every day to buy it back. He said that was the biggest mistake I ever made selling that thing. So he's been trying to get it back. Okay. Well, you know what the music means. Our time is up. But I really appreciate y'all coming on board today. And it's an honor to talk to y'all. Well, we appreciate you having us. And thank you guys for everything you do for us. For thinking of us, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, you can find out more about Ring Brothers at, check this, ringbrothers.com. Go figure. And if you search Ring Brothers, one word, at theshopmag.com, you'll find out even more, as well as access to this and previous episodes, the latest news, and features from around the industry. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, adios amigos.